0: you're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas, find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Lifted up, praising His name together, saying the same thing together. He so richly deserves it, and uh, we are so transformed uh, just by being in His presence, so. Um, if you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you have uh, joined us to uh, worship and um, and uh, partake of the word and partake of the fellowship and the provision that God has for us. So you just make yourself at home. Let him speak to your heart, because I know he wants to do that. So, And uh, we'll let the kids go to uh, children's ministry. And as they go, we're going to pray for them. Lord, thank you for these... Uh, Little ones uh, growing up, Lord, uh, in our midst, thank you for the awesome uh, privilege that you give us, Lord, to have some measure of stewardship over them for this period of time, but we know, Lord, that you're their Heavenly Father, and our job is to point them to you, to model uh, what it means to, uh, to walk with you, Lord, um, that uh, church and a church family, Lord, would be a source of great joy uh, to them, Lord, Uh, that you're laying a foundation in their life right now that they can build uh, with certainty on uh, throughout all of their days. I just pray that you'd bless them today, Lord Jesus, that you'd minister to each heart and especially minister to those that are working with our kids, Lord, give them just an extra measure of grace um, that they would uh, just feel a sense, Lord Jesus, of, uh, of accomplishment in what they're doing, that it's not just busy work, Lord, but It's building the kingdom of God by building lives. And uh, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're continuing a series this morning uh, from the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to turn there. um, I had originally uh, intended for this to be uh, maybe through January, but it looks like it's going to expand into something bigger than that. So um, there's just too much good stuff uh, in in the book of Nehemiah. So, like, why do we read um, Nehemiah? Why, why is that? What is, the, what is the, um, the benefit or the point? What's the point of reading uh, the book of Nehemiah or studying the book of Nehemiah? Um, I think it's timely for us being at the beginning of a year and the beginning of a decade, um, like we talked about a little bit last year, um, to kind of take stock of things and to um, to just really be focused and really understand where God is and where he wants us to be and um, you know it's just one of those things where you have uh, something that's ending in a zero you know 2020 um, like it can could be for you when you become when you get to be 20 or when you get to be you know 30 or 40 it's just like uh, it's like where are we going like where's is, where's is our life going and and uh, and are we really doing what we want to do and what we feel like we need to do and are we really dreaming big dreams, or have we just gotten into the routine of things and uh, just kind of going along with the flow? And so I think the book of Nehemiah is, uh, is really timely for us as a congregation and for us as individuals, um, because it teaches us um, principles about the way God works and the way God works in people's lives, which is, you know, really important. Um, It teaches us what it looks like when a person gets something in his heart and decides to do it and how God responds to that and how God does things. Sometimes we kind of look out at the landscape and we think we know what we're looking at and we have no idea what God what the potential is that's out there until we begin to move until we begin to seek God's face until we begin to say you know God give me your burden not just my burden expand my horizons to the point that I can see what you want not just what I want, um, but I think the biggest thing about Nehemiah. And we're going to see it several different ways today. Um, is that every book of the Bible, Jesus told the I think he was talking to scribes and Pharisees, and he said, um, "You search the scriptures because in them you think you know you're going to find something." And he said, "They are those that speak of me," and Nehemiah speaks of Jesus, and Nehemiah speaks of the one is our source and our destiny and our everything and it it gives us a whole different perspective on that so that's the reason why we study Nehemiah we want to be in, informed we want to learn about history but more than that we want to learn about the mystery of how God works with people and how God accomplishes his purposes amen so we're gonna we're gonna read um, the first 10 verses of the book of the second chapter of nehemiah and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit it says uh, in the month nisan uh, in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was before him i took up the wine and i gave it to the king now i had not been sad in his presence and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing you are not sick this is nothing but sadness of the heart and then i was very much afraid and i said to the king let the king live forever said to me the queen sitting beside him how long will you be gone and when will you return and so it pleased the king to send me when i had given him a time Servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I want to just go to kind of one thing that I feel like is sort of pivotal, um, that, that, that this whole chapter kind of hinges on. Um, and it's uh verse five. It says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Now last week we talked about uh, what happened, how how Nehemiah had gotten the the, uh, information. He had asked for it. He was, he was, he wanted to know. He wasn't just, you know, living his own life and, you know, not worried about other things, but he it, on his heart was jerusalem and he asked somebody what was going on in jerusalem they told him that the city was burned down and the first thing that he did uh, that the wall was torn down and the gates were burned and the first thing that he did is he began to pray he just turned his attention to god and he's, he's cried out to god and and in his prayer he talked about how they were guilty and that they repented That they recognized that this disaster had befallen them not because their God had failed them but because their God was faithful to his word. And and this disaster didn't turn them away from God. It disciplined them to turn to God. It's a very unique thing about the way God works uh, in Israel and in our lives as well. So he began to pray. And chapter 2 is a direct result of that prayer. And the, the heart that's behind it is this send me. This reminds me of, uh, of Isaiah um, and how Isaiah, after he had had his lips cleansed, then he heard a conversation that was going on, probably between the Trinity. I don't think that God was asking the angels the question, but God was asking the question who shall we send for us and who will go for us? And Isaiah overheard that conversation. Oswald Chambers um uh his his perspective on this is that he kind of injected himself into the conversation he kind of butted in and he said send me nobody was asking him anything nobody he was he was just privileged to be able to overhear but he didn't want to be a bystander and he didn't want to be a spectator he wanted to be a full participant and if god is saying who who shall i send he says send me there's a heart that's behind that. There's an attitude that's behind that, that God loves. And God responds to that. If we're just sitting around waiting for something to happen, then probably not much is going to happen. But if we're actively pursuing God, and if we're, if we're saying, I want to be a part of this, God is going to gift you that. He is going to bless you with that. He is going to burden you with that sweet burden of God, that sweet providence of god in your life where you know that you're not just going to be going about your own business but that you're going to be doing something that is life-changing for you and world-changing in its effect he said send me also think about paul you know paul had been on his missionary journeys paul should have just deserved a big pat on the back and a nice easy place to relax and just you know kind of go and you you you've done enough paul and he's heading back to Jerusalem, and everywhere he goes, the precious churches, the precious people that he has decided and d- discipled are saying to him, Don't go. Don't go. Their, pro- their prophecy is, Bonds await you. And Paul says to him, Why do you weep and break my heart? He says, I go to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. He was bound already. He's not afraid of the bondage that man has. David says, the Lord is asking you, what are you, gonna, what are you willing to give up? There's only one answer to that. Everything. Everything. My life, my dreams, my hopes, my comfort, my everything. There's only one logical answer to that question. And there's only one way. The, what Jesus said to the, to the rich young ruler, he said to everybody that he called to follow him. The disciples, they left their nets, they left their homes, they left their families everybody that follows jesus there's only one way there's only one way and he's such a good god and he's so good to us but he's given us the privilege of being able to go but this is not this is not the only there's a send me spirit there's a here am i spirit that is in the church and that's because it's jesus christ that has that that here in my spirit if you remember in the book of revelation book of revelation is a difficult book in a lot of ways there's some imagery in there that we don't understand anybody that claims to understand all of it is is not telling you the truth okay it is there's a benefit to reading it but there's a lot of things in it that are hard to understand but there's some things in it that you cannot misunderstand they're so obvious they're so plain Some of those are in the letters to the seven churches. But some of those are in that throne room, that picture that we have where where, um, John is, is, is able to look into the throne room of heaven. And you remember that? There's a scroll that appears in heaven. And the voice says, you know, who is worthy to open the scroll? And there was nobody found worthy to open the scroll. And then the lamb steps forward and says, he will go. Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in chapter 3 of uh, the book of John, you can say it with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. And then the next verse, 17, 317, says, God did not send him into the world to reminds me of jesus christ because that's the spirit that is in us in his people send me so let's go back and look a little bit at these verses there's three things that i'm gonna from last week this is what we ended with last week um, as we're looking forward, uh, as we're listening to the Lord, God has us in a season of seeking His face. We're meeting on Wednesday nights. A lot of people are fasting one or two days during the week. In addition to that, it's just a season of seeking the Lord. It's just a season of saying, you know, I want more, you know? And when you start praying a prayer like that, God begins to put His finger on some things. And He says, you know, this, not that this is bad, but it's just holding you back. And that's that's the season that we're in as a church so we're meeting on wednesday nights we're going to pray we're going to meet for some fellowship just don't have enough of that time for that you know sunday morning is just not time enough for us to you know fully benefit from what it means to be friends with believers and so we're meeting together we'll we'll have a great meal uh, and then um, that's for about an hour and then we're going to pray for about an hour so if you have kids We're trying to get out of here by 8 o'clock. We did a good job of being right on time this past week, and I trust that we can do that. But the prayer that we're praying is uh, the way that we pray is that we have some things that we're going to pray about. We just let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us. And it's amazing how God orchestrates that and how he harmonizes our hearts together um, to seek him. So last week we talked about this just as as a congregation and as a body looking forward to the year and the decade ahead. Um, And these were the three things that we talked about. Embrace the truth. Don't soft-soap it. Listen to what God is saying to you and what He convicts your heart of. Confess your sins. Repent. um, You know, clear that there's nothing between you and God. There's nothing separating you between you and God. The second is to turn your eyes to God, to really begin to seek Him. Uh, And then the last one is to prepare yourself for work. And that's how we ended last week. If you look at the last... Um, verse of uh, nehemiah chapter one he says now i was the cupbearer for the king so he is praying and seeking god and then when he gets up from his prayer he's saying okay where am i and who am i and what what am i uh, uh doing here he was uniquely uh, placed uh in the kingdom at that time um so that's what we that's what we looked at last week um this week we're going to look at the results of nehemiah's prayer so chapter two All the things that happen in chapter 2 are are a direct result of Nehemiah turning his attention to God and beginning to pray and beginning to seek Him. And in those first 10 verses, we see three uh, results. The first is the hand of God. The second is the king's favor. And then the third is that the enemy is immediately being dealt with and immediately being rendered powerless. So we're going to look at those uh, in some detail today. First of all, uh, in direct response to Nehemiah's uh, prayer, the Bible says that the, um, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man um, makes things happen, right? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Who's righteous? Anybody? There you go. You better, yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, that's not being like proud or arrogant or, or the, we are righteous because Jesus Christ has made us righteous. But don't let anybody tell you that you're not claim it walk in it right there's a there's a level of humility in that as well knowing that i am not in myself worthy but that in jesus christ i am mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and god's going to use me that right that way i was in the hospital uh, with my son some years ago and uh he had a procedure that they needed to do and the doctor came in and he said you know, his vascular system is all messed up. It's just like, we don't, you know, we need to do this. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have to do something a whole lot more drastic and a whole lot more uh, radical. And so I just began to pray. And this is when I got some insight into this. And, and I was praying to God and I was saying, God, you said that you will answer prayer. And I'm asking you for something. I'm asking you to do this. And I said, in Jesus Christ, I am a righteous. I fulfill that, um, that requirement the the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and i prayed that prayer and the doctor came in like 15 minutes later and he said we got it it worked <laughs> i told you guys about my dad last week i mean he was really sick and we were having to make some uh, afraid that we were going to have to start making some really hard decisions about you know end life end of life care for him And we prayed, and you guys prayed. And we enlisted prayer from people, you know, all around the world. Fortunately, we have connections with people all around the world, thanks to the Internet, you know? Immediate response. And he ate. He he swallowed. He ate breakfast, you know? Not a big deal to most of us. But it was the difference between life and death. It was the difference between hospice and returning him to the life that he loves. And, the life, and he's, I just saw him this past week. He's not, he, he is not the same guy that he's been for the last couple of years. A lot more alert, a lot more you know, interactive and stuff like that. Why? Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Does God always heal? No. A lot of times he has something way better in mind than what we're asking for. But boy, when he comes through, you just step back and you're just like, that, that's God, you know? And this is the result of Nehemiah's prayer, is that he began to see God doing things. In verse uh, verse 8. Now I know he's interacting with, you know, the king. (laughs) It says, uh, in a letter to Asaph, he's asking for this, the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me a timber to make beams for the gates for the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and it says and the king granted me what i asked for for the good hand of god was upon me and that's a direct result of him praying i don't know if you think if your brain works like mine my, my wife tells me often everybody's not like you joe and i'm like really But the way my brain works is, I had to learn this. Why do I have to ask God for something when he already knows what I need? He's he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. And yet there's something about that that moves his heart in a particular way. Why do I have to ask? And the reason why I have to ask, and the reason why it sets something in motion, is because I can have a problem and not be expecting him to do anything about it. Or he could have a problem and not even be, like, expecting me to be part of the solution. But when I start that conversation, something happens. He's a living God, and I'm in a living relationship with him, just like I am with people. And when I ask, it becomes his business. And if I don't ask, then it's my business. Not that he doesn't move sometimes sovereignly anyway, but most of the time, he thrives on that. He thrives on that interaction. You know, it's like a, a two-year-old, you know? They're always asking, what, what question do two-year-olds ask? Why? Why? And you know what? A lot of times they're asking questions that they don't even have the capacity to understand if you did answer the question. But I don't think it's about that at all. I think they just thrive on the interaction with the big person. I think that's what they want. They just want your attention focused on them, and they want that conversation and that interaction. And I think that's what God wants too with us. He just wants that interaction. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be a part of your problems. He hates to see you struggle alone. That's why He not because He doesn't know. Because He wants that interaction with you. He wants that. He wants you to focus your attention on Him and trust Him and grow in your relationship with him and your heart grow seven sizes you know you grinch it says the good hand of my god was upon me so he's talking to the king but he knows as he's talking to the king that the king is not the final authority the king has a role to play here so the first thing is god's hand the second thing is the king's favor this was a direct result of his prayer as well and there's a lot for us to learn here. First of all, how that interaction started, you may not totally understand the peril that he was in. But if you understand how earthly, worldly kings worked in those days, um, they could be brutal. We don't know a whole lot about Artaxerxes. Um, he, he had sent um, uh, Ezra uh, several years before back to uh, Israel and, and when you see the letter that he writes about um, Ezra, he has a real grasp of who Ezra is and also who the God of Ezra is. And he had sent Ezra back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the, uh, the, the nation and to establish the law and to teach the law. And he was Artaxerxes was kind of in awe of that. I don't know that much about him. We don't know that much about him. Um, but he had a big part to play in the restoration of Israel after the captivity. It says in the month Nisan, which is in the spring, in the 20th year, uh, when wine was before him, he's the cupbearer now, um, uh, Nehemiah is, and he said, um, uh, I, took the, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. This is four months after the first chapter of Nehemiah, and he's doing his regular job. And he's in the presence of the king. And the the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Uh, And then I was very much afraid. Does that kind of seem funny? Why is he so afraid? Well, because this king holds the power of life and death. And these guys uh, were always, there's so much intrigue in the royal court. Um, There's so many, you know, agendas hidden agendas so much power struggle in the in the royal court that when he sees somebody in his presence and they're upset he better start thinking maybe they're upset because they they have something that they're doing against him and so when the king notices that nehemiah is upset i don't think that necessarily he thinks that but it's just like when esther goes into the king she has no right to ask anything of the king the king is not your pal the king is not here to serve you you're here to serve him and for you to make a request and especially a request for this much money this much provision this much authority is a really big ask how different is this than the throne the grace uh, the throne of uh of grace that we approach and the bible says we approach it boldly and it's in contrast to this that we approach the the throne of god with a request Nehemiah was afraid to approach the king with a request to ask something of him. And yet God has opened his throne up to his kids and he's just like, you come and you ask, you are welcome. He's not our servant. He's not our servant, he's our father. But he wants us to come. We don't have to, that's what it means. It says we approach the throne of grace boldly it's boldly it's it's like you know freedom of speech freedom to ask and then he said i was very much afraid and i said to the king now he could not have brought this request unless the king had asked him like what's going on with you and now the door is open and listen to what he asked he says let the king live forever why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire Now, he knows what's going on in Jerusalem. He's done some investigation. During this time, he's been praying. He's turned his attention to the Lord, but he's also done some background work. And he knows that when he gets his opportunity, he's not going to say, I'll get back to you. When he gets his opportunity and that door is open, Nehemiah is ready to ask. He's he's ready to go. Um, And then the way he refers to it is, um, the place of my father's graves. He's appealing to something that this king, though he is a worldly king, would value and would understand somebody valuing. You remember what, ha- what happened with Joseph? Um, when Joseph died, he said, don't bury my bones in Egypt. He said, bring my bones back home. These are the bones that he's talking about. This is the place that, he's, that, that um, Nehemiah is talking about. That, that place that is sacred to, to the heart of every Jewish person. It's the place where they, and the way they cared for the dead um, was very unique and very different than the way that the people around them cared for the dead. The ritual that was involved in it. Um, there's, I think there's some things that we can learn, I'm not going to get into it this morning, from the way that the Jewish people um, grieve and the way that they um, remember their dead and the, the work that they do for their dead because there's stuff that they do every year um, that they would like bury them and then a year later they would come and they would do some things with the body and they would, they would move the bones and, and every year that they would do, do something with it. It's a, it's a very much a part of their daily lives. The dead are not forgotten. And this is one of the things that grieved them so much, being so far away and having lost their city and their home, is that they had lost that heritage. They had lost that connection to their ancestors and their previous um, their families and, and the people that had gone before them, so the king would understand that. And then the king said to me, "Why? What are you requesting?" So I prayed to the God of Heaven. There's big prayers and then there's arrow prayers. You know what I mean? It's like you pray a big prayer and then you're faced with something and you're like, "Oh God, help!" You know? <laughs> and He answers both of those things, and but they both have their place and they both have their um, uh, their applications. And he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now he's asking for it. Now he's asking for it. And there's no backing up. Now this has become his life. This has become his most important job. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me uh, when I had given him a time. I think that uh, Nehemiah is one of these guys like, um, uh, like Daniel was, who's just excellent. He's really good at what he does. And his, his attachment to the king is not just a professional attachment, but his attachment to the king is a personal attachment think that the king sees something in this man that is an excellent spirit and he values him deeply even worldly people when they see the fruit of the spirit in somebody's life they're not going to say you know there's something wrong with that person they're going to say man i wish i was like that the the work that god does in our hearts the the uh, commitment that we have to truth that we, we don't lie and we don't steal. And it's not just because you know, we're afraid of the consequences, but it's because we have a relationship with God. And the world sees that and they value that. The, the, even people in the world can see the value of an excellent spirit, of somebody who is, who is genuinely devout and genuinely love, loves God and loves people. And that's what I think the king is seeing in Nehemiah. And that's the reason why Nehemiah can boldly ask this question, which is going to remove him, remove the value of his service from the court, and place it in a foreign city to build a foreign government. Now, I think Artaxerxes wanted an association with Jerusalem and he wanted an association with Israel because he believed in the God of Israel. He saw the power and he saw the excellent spirit in the people that, that called themselves. Jewish, that were of the Jewish uh, race. And so it was to his advantage to strengthen them and build them and have an ally in these guys. But he wants to know when he's going to be back because that's a big investment, right? I mean, when a person goes to the mission field or somebody goes to plant a church or something like that, we rejoice in that, right? But we lose something as well, don't we? And are we willing to make that investment? Are we willing to give up what they mean to us so that they can mean something big to the kingdom of God that goes beyond us? It's a question to think about because I know God wants to do that. He wants to send us he wants to send us. And this mission trip to uh, Nicaragua is a perfect example of the way people go and get their eyes open to things that you could tell them about. You could, I mean, I'm sure that there's like mission stories on, uh, Facebook, on, on Facebook or uh, uh, on YouTube, you know? But when it's your own person, when it's somebody that you love and somebody that you know, and they go and they begin to see this face-to-face firsthand. First time when we went uh, as a youth group, we went to Mexico and we prayed. I don't know if you guys are going to do this or not, but I strongly suggest it. We prayed together as a team. We met together weekly as a team just for prayer. And we were praying for people. And we were praying that God would open doors. And we were praying that God would make us bold and, and that he would give us success as we went to Mexico. We were going to do a, um, a sports outreach and we were going to do a, a VBS. And we were connected with two churches there so that the people that came in that we ministered to, we could put them directly in those uh, churches we introduced them to the pastor and the children's minister and and they were not just being you know being evangelized but they were also going to be discipled and um, we got there this was um uh, Saltillo, uh, mexico and we got there we came into the house that we were staying at everybody brought their bags in and uh and then they went out to put to give give out flyers and I stayed back, and I was cooking. I was cooking uh, for, um, for our evening meal. And they were gone for about an hour and a half or two hours, something like that. And during that time, the heavens just opened up, and there was a huge thunderstorm. And this is a city that has a lot of dirt roads. It's not all paved roads. And so I'm watching this storm and waiting for them to come back. And they came back, and they were like muddy, wet, and their faces were just, radiant they were just glowing because they had seen what they had prayed for they had seen people open their hearts and open their doors and t- willingly and, and and thankfully take the flyers man if you tried to give these flyers out here people wouldn't even take them you know they'd be like i don't i don't want that you know try to try to give somebody you know a, a a flyer or something like that but there they were just like yeah let me see it everybody t- and then they read it and they, they came back rejoicing because they had prayed and God had answered. The only reason why we don't see that more often is because we don't, we don't experience it. We don't, we don't take the step to put ourselves in a position to see something like that and experience something like that. King said, how long are you going to be gone? Do you know how long he was gone? He was gone like 12 years. And then he came back for a little while, and then he went back because there was, we're going to talk about some of this stuff as we go on through the book, but there was a lot of things that happened in his absence that he had to come back to Jerusalem. So it was a long-term investment. I don't know if he told the king at that time it would be 12 days, because you know how long it took him to build the wall? We're going to cover that, I think, next week. It took him 52 days, like a month and a half, little, almost two months to build the wall. That's only one small part of this whole big book. And that's only one small part. And in fact, it was one of the quickest things that they did is build that wall. So when he asked, how long are you going to be gone? Did he think, did did Nehemiah think, oh, a couple of months? Or did he know there's going to be a lot more involved than just building this wall? Nehemiah got the king's favor, but he knew that that was God's favor to him. And the king gave him two things, probably several letters, but he gave him a letter. This is like a letter, a letter of passage, carte blanche is what sometimes we call it, where he, he, can, he has the right to, to have anything that he, he wants. He has the right um, to do that. But then he also gave him a military escort. So in the, in the Bible, there's two ways to translate power. We have power in the Holy Spirit. There's power, there's exousia power, and there's dunamis power exousia power is executive power it's the right to do things and then he and then he also has the dunamis power dunamis is the dynamite power that's the power to get things done not the not the right to get things done but the power to get things done miracles are like that miracles are dunamis power but they're based on our exousia power they're based on our executive power our rights in in god you see what i'm saying here so here's the way I illustrate it. Like um, you're driving along and you look in your rearview mirror and the lights are flashing and, and all of that. And you know it's not Christmas time and then you know it's, uh, you're getting pulled over. So why are you driving your car and you see the lights and you pull over? Why do you pull over? What makes you pull over? Like why? Like you know what you're supposed to do, right? But you physically do this, right? Because this guy has the authority he has two things he has a badge and he has a gun that's the exousia that's the executive power that's the right he has the right to pull you over and the gun is the dunamis power to enforce that just in case right i know you're not that never happens to you and i'm you know i'm just talking theoretically here but if it ever does happen that's why he has he has the executive power and which one is more powerful that badge is way more powerful than that gun. That guy gets all, or woman gets all of this work done, you know, rarely do they, do they ever pull that gun out. Where, where do they ever have to use it. Why? Because they have the right. And listen, Nehemiah got the right. He got the letters. That's the authority. He, he got the, he got, you know, um, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, you shall have it. That's what we're talking about. This is in the king's name. This work that Nehemiah is doing now is not Nehemiah, some you know, skinny Hebrew you know, out trying to do something, but this is Artaxerxes now. He's got letters to prove it. He is doing this in his name. Okay, you with me? And finally... Um, <clears throat> I made my PowerPoint kind of have this transition, which I thought was pretty cool, but it slows everything down, so I'll change it next week. I just want it to go. Come on. Go. At least it's advancing this week. We have had problems with it doing that. So the last one is the enemy's powerlessness, and that's the last uh, verse of that passage that we read uh, when it says... Um, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's uh, letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And you can mark my words. If they had the authority or the power or the military strength to stop nehemiah doing what he wanted to do they would have done it at that time here's the here's the principle so we have dreams and we have visions that god has given us for the coming year and for the coming um, decade make no mistake about it these guys are mad and and displeased because someone was looking for the welfare of the people of Israel. who had Their city was, was burned down. Their, their wall was broken down. Um, they were on the verge. They were teetering on the edge of, of complete annihilation. And not, no longer being a nation. A nation that would be forgotten to history. They were on that edge. And, and then uh, Sanballat and uh, Tobiah saw Nehemiah coming. And they're not happy about it. And let me give you just a little bit. We're going to talk about these guys. We're going to spend a whole week talking about the enemy and the enemy's tactics and what he does and the right way that we wage spiritual warfare. It's so different than physical warfare. It's all about the heart. It's all about the mind and the attitude. It's very little about necessarily physical strength or intimidation or all the things that go along with um, uh, uh, physical warfare. But these guys come from Samaria. You've heard of Samaria right you remember the conversation that jesus had with the woman at the well and she said we worship on this mountain and you jews say that you should worship in jerusalem that's exactly what she's talking about sanballat actually built a temple on mount uh, gershom or garrison something like that that's the that's was the um the samaritan's um capital city and sanballat his name itself is the name of a foreign god like, a, I, am a, I am a servant of, you know, the God sin, um, which is not sin like we say it, it's sin, it's a, it's a different God, but it's a foreign God. And he is building. See, Nehemiah is coming in to do a good work, but make no mistake about it, other people have other interests, and they're not going to be happy about it. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So let me, uh, let me close this today by, I don't really know how, I'm just going to do this, okay? So um, it may not flow real good for you, but um, I want to just take a step back and look at uh, the, the God's mighty hand, the king's favor, and the enemy's um, powerlessness and just point to where we are today and where God is today and what God is after, okay? Okay? Because Nehemiah is going to build a wall, but God is far more interested in something bigger than a wall because God wants to build the kingdom. Okay? Are you with me? God wants to build the kingdom. And listen to this. You could write this down if you want to. The kingdom of God is people. It's not structures. It's not organizations. It's people. The kingdom of God is people. And the fact that their wall was broken down was a disaster, it was terrible, but the fact that the people were shamed and and turned away, and they had no identity and they had no place, they were separated from their place of worship, the place of meeting with God. God is interested in people. God is interested in people. And if you begin to pray, that's what he's going to put on your heart. As you go about your daily life and things like that, sometimes we have a tendency to see people as a problem or people as their own problem or I'm not interested in that person or I don't want to talk to that person, but God is interested in people. He's interested in, 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 in building people and reaching people and saving people. He's vitally interested in people. And that's what the kingdom of God is built with. So when we see God's mighty hand, that's giving you the ability to connect with somebody. Even if you're a real introvert. Maybe especially because you're a real introvert. You bring something to that relationship that nobody else can bring to that relationship. And he, if you will pray and if you will ask, He will give you opportunities. You'll have something to do after you pray, but you begin With pray, prayer. The second one is favor that God gives us favor to other people. I've been on three, two mission trips um, to Togo with um, Site.org over the last three years and raised something like I don't know, maybe ten thousand dollars. If somebody had asked me five years ago, you know, I'm going to do this. How much is it going to cost? I would have been intimidated, blown away. By that but god opened up the resources he opened up people's hearts listen to me he opened up non-sanctified people's hearts (laughs) you see what i'm saying and they became a part of the work and they have a vested interest in god's work in foreign missions that they would not have had otherwise Because God is interested in people. He's not just interested in in money, raising money and and all of that. He's interested in reaching those people. And what he did is he reached them through their financial support. Where their money went, then their heart is. I don't know if that's profound to you, but that's profound to me. When when, when, When the Lord showed me that, I realized that that's what it's all about. It's all about people. It's all about reaching people and loving people. It's all about getting through closed doors and getting over walls that people have erected, whether they did it intentionally or whether they didn't do it intentionally. Getting to hurting hearts. That's what God so desires to do. And if we set our heart to do the work of the kingdom of God, the people that support us, the people that are, that are you know, connected to us also will benefit as well as you came in today you know i think sometimes we have a tendency to kind of get out of our cars and kind of leave our troubles there and then come you know and worship and celebrate and all of that and God didn't want us to do that. He wants us to bring our whole lives here. He wants the real thing, not just the Sunday face. And as you came today, your heart is burdened with some things. Some things that you may think God doesn't care about, and he does, he deeply cares about it. Some things, here's a, here's a kicker, you're, it's your fault. And so you're like, I mean, I can come, you know, but I'm living the consequences of my own bad decisions. And God's still saying, I want to help, <laughs> I want to help. You know, I want to be a part of that. You got yourself into this mess, but you don't have to get yourself out of this mess. I'm going to be with you in that, and we're going to build character in you, and you're going to learn some things, and you're going to be changed fundamentally. When Israel came back from their captivity, that's when they started the synagogues and the study of the Word, and they were never the same after that. There was something deeply broken in them when they lost their nation when they met that disaster, when they came to the, to the absolute bitter end, there was something fundamentally broken. And maybe that's what God is after in our lives. Something fundamentally, something foundationally changed, set right. And you would never have chosen to go through this, but God says, thank God you did. I was visiting with a dear friend of mine in the hospital who struggles with, uh, with addiction. And uh, when I walked in the room, he choked up. He does that a lot when he gets around me. And he said, I'm so thankful that I'm in the hospital. He said, I'm so thankful that I'm in the hospital. Crazy talk. Why? Because he's in the grip of something that he just needs to get away from and being in the hospital is a respite it's a blessing it's an open door it's a chance to do things differently so if you came in today and you've left your sack of troubles in the car mentally get them and bring them okay right now because god wants you to bring that that's all part of the next year and the next 10 years your failures, your brokenness, your ineptitude, all of that stuff, as long, or, or, or along with your successes and your assets and all of those things. He just wants it all. Just put it in a great big bundle and bring it to the altar and just put it on the altar and say, now, God, it's yours. It was my problem. Now it's our problem. Amen? Give me, uh, give me that last slide, and I'll let you go. Oh, it can go faster. Here's the first steps that we need need to take. First of all, know the need. What is God calling us to do? What have you been praying about? What are you seeing God move in a way? And then if we want this thing to be successful, the first thing is know the need. Know the need that... like. Every one of us is uniquely burdened uh, with something, and it has to do with the things you've been through and the things that you've experienced, but it's a burden that's not just a a burden for for yourself, but it's the burden of the Lord. He's he's given us the privilege of sharing a part of that burden. He is always going to be doing the heavy lifting, but he always gives us some part to play in that. Know what the need is. If you're called to reach your neighbors know what the need is if you're called to reach your family know what the need is you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to investigate and spend some of that internet time doing something valuable you know (laughs) learning things you might be learning a new language it'll be good for you right you might be learning a new culture you might be exposing yourself to some things that you have never been exposed to before But know what the need is. And secondly, know your resources. When I'm talking about resources, I'm talking about human resources first. Know your relationships. Know the blessings that God has given you to be related to people. But also what your resources are. He's always going to ask you, what do you have? Are you willing to invest that? Because that's not going to be the whole answer. But that's going to be part of the answer. And then finally, know your enemy. Know his tricks. Know his tactics know your weapons know how powerful your weapons are and how powerful they are to the pulling down of strongholds and the building up of walls and the resisting of of an enemy that has his sight set on you doesn't think you're cute Is not has no pity for you whatsoever hates you wants you alone and miserable and then dead and dead as soon as possible now you need to know that okay don't give him more credit than he deserves He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't have any of the omnis, you know, that your God does. But he's not to be taken lightly either. Prepare yourself for that. Because you will be, if you're, if you're setting your sights to do something big for God or to establish something or to change something in your heart, you, mark my words, you will be resisted. And he's good at doing this. So know that going into it so you won't be surprised when the wheels come off and all hell breaks loose. We'll be prepared for that. Amen? Mm -hmm. Let's stand together. We're going to close with prayer, but if you need prayer today, you come. I'll stay as long as I need to 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 pray for you. Our elders um, are here um, if you need prayer. If you came this morning knowing that you needed um, prayer, don't leave without that, okay? So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your kind intention toward us. I thank you, Lord, that you're our Father, uh, and that means that you teach us and you lead us, but it also means that you equip us to, to, to uh, participate with you in the building of the kingdom of God. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the, the, um, the willingness for him to step up and say, I will do it. I will go. I will, I will save. I will redeem. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have put that spirit within us as well. That we have been gifted with a spirit that is an outwardly reaching, saving spirit, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us beyond where we are. That when we look to the next year and the next 10 years, Lord, that it's going to take faith to accomplish that. It's going to take prayer to accomplish that, Lord. But that we would not be overwhelmed or intimidated by the scope and the size of the vision of God, that we would be just like Nehemiah and say, send me, send me. Thank you for it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for any burden that we are bearing today, Lord, that we would see every one of those as an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God and to build the kingdom, Lord. Whether it's our fault or not, Lord, that we would cast our cares upon you because you care for us, Lord. And in the resolving of these things, whether it's conflict, Lord, whether it's need, um, whether it's illness, Lord, that the, re- the resolution of these things would, would bring glory to you. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me